The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The Brooklyn Zen Center, so um, I'm newly back in California, which uh, is nice. I have been in the city and um, with all the noise and the smells and the so on, and as I was driving down here, I lowered the windows of my car, and then I parked right outside down the street right over there. And when I got out of the car, I was like, oh my God, plants. (laughs) (laughs) You're so lucky. (laughs) But also, you know, if I may say, can you not hear me? Are you okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll talk, can you hear me now? Get, 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 okay. So, um, looking around your community, one thing that's wonderful about um, the city in New York and Brooklyn, where I come from, is that um, the richness of the community is. You, you. Um, how can I say this? <laughs> I miss looking out and seeing difference. You know, just a little bit too much sameness here. <laughs> So that richness in New York is just, it's, it's, uh, makes the city a wonderful place to live, if you can make it there. (laughs) I used to think when people came to New York and they would say, you know, if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I used to think... I understand that. You know, if you're a musician or something like that and you go to New York and you're really good at playing music and, you know, you make it there, you've made it, you can, you can make it anywhere. But that's not what it means. What it means is if you can go to New York and if you can find housing and if you can find a job that gets you enough money to pay for that housing, you have made it in New York and you can do that anywhere. But it's worth it. It's a wonderful, wonderful place, a very unusual city, and I will be sorry when I leave it, which is going to be soon. I'm going to retire in about eight months. I'll be 73, <laughs> and I'll deserve it every <laughs> I really deserve to retire. When I was in New York, I um, was watching a movie with my son, my foster son, um, and the movie was um, The Last Samurai. Have you seen the last? Have you ever? Have you seen the movie Moonlight? By the way, you're kidding. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you see it. Okay. But anyway, back to the back to the important point, <laughs> which is The Last Samurai. The movie The Last Samurai. And during that movie. Uh, Tom Cruise plays a Western person who goes to Japan and helps save something or another, you know. Um, But anyway, there's a wonderful... The Last Samurai is a Japanese fellow who's steeped in Japanese uh, culture. And um, there's a scene where there's a courtyard and Tom Cruise walks over and the samurai is looking at the blossoms of the peach tree gorgeous blossoms and he's looking at it and he says you know 
You can spend your whole life looking for the perfect blossom and it would be a life well spent. I thought, that's wonderful. The perfect blossom. Well spent. Then at the end of the movie he dies and he dies in the arms of Tom Cruise. And as he's dying the camera is kind of behind his shoulder and in the background you can see a peach tree with the blossoms falling, falling. And he says, as he's dying, he says, everyone perfect. And I thought, somehow that's a very good Dharma statement. Each one perfect, just as it is. I think um, people now, especially lately, are wondering, what is this life? And how do we live it well? How do we respond to things that some of us think are difficult situations? And what do we do? And all the Dharma teachers I'm close to, almost all of them, are talking about this because people want to understand how in the world do we respond to this situation? How do we acknowledge life as it is and yet at the same time uh, walk in a way that is uh, useful and helpful in our situation that we we find ourselves in? I think Buddhism of all... No, I won't say that. It's not right. Buddhism has something to teach that I think is enormously important that I want to share. Because I do think we know how to walk in the world. And I do think we know how to respond. So... Every day in our Zen tradition we make this chant, we chant this chant. If if you remember, you can chant with me. (laughs) We chant, um, Homage to the perfection of wisdom, the lovely, the holy, The perfection of wisdom gives light. Unstained the entire world cannot stain her. She is a source of light and from everyone in the triple world she removes darkness. Most excellent are her works. She brings light so that all fear and distress may be forsaken and disperses the gloom and darkness of delusion. She herself is an organ of vision. She has the clear knowledge of the own being of all dharmas and she does not stray away from it. The perfection of wisdom of the Buddhas sets in motion the wheel of Dharma.
the perfection of wisdom, as you probably know, you know, perfection of wisdom is wisdom, prajnaparamita, right? The wisdom, the perfection of wisdom, the completion of wisdom, the embodiment of wisdom, the blossoming of wisdom, the suffusion of wisdom, 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 wisdom being in Sota Zen, way of talking about is emptiness. And your way of talking about it is probably impermanence, no self, right? Same thing. Emptiness, there are a lot of ways of talking about emptiness, but I want to talk about emptiness a little bit. This tonight is basically not attaching to views, not attaching to your own identity, not attaching to concepts. And if we want to be thorough about it, not attaching to any idea, no thought, no view, no identity. Essentially, as you know, the deepest idea is a sense of separate self. So, for example, you know, my brother... Oh, I wasn't going to say my brother. Shucks. <laughs> Someone close to me. Someone close to me is a, has a difference of opinion <laughs> in this latest political event, which... If you listen to the news, is simply... A, it's not a movie. <laughs> I wish it was a movie. Is a uh, manifestation of basically grabbing onto a self, thinking everybody else is separate, and therefore greed. I can take what I want and don't care so much about other people. And hatred. My belief is true. You are a blah, 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 blah. And I can dismiss you. Or worse. Right? I mean, this is like not a mystery. You know, this is not a special secret teaching. This is in the news. You can see it. So, uh, at each moment and at each uh, situation, we have a we have a chance. We can make a commitment. It can be our intention. We can simply have the willingness, instead of being right and creating separation, which is the opposite of emptiness, we can let go of whatever we are manifesting that is causing separation in our own self and with what we imagine as an other person and choose connection instead. Choose listening. Which doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries and you don't have some understanding of the world. It simply means that you're not attached to your understanding. And you're willing to put it aside a little bit to listen to somebody who feels completely 
differently than you do. I made a real concrete decision with my close family member that I would rather stay connected with him than be right. And it's not easy because he keeps... (laughs) (laughs) And the thing is, he doesn't really yet understand that I really am listening to him because he thinks that unless I agree with him, I'm not hearing what he's saying. (laughs) Another way of talking about emptiness is this concomitant, this uh, teaching of dependent arising or dependent co-arising, which I'm sure you're all also familiar with. But it's important because we have to live our understanding now more than ever. That's why it's, these teachings are so important because we need to put them out there. We need to behave that way. My brother, there is, there is real reasons why he believes in a different way than I do. All the causes and conditions that made up that life It's clear as a bell that that should be the case. And that's why Mr. President is not an enemy of mine. And I wish with all my heart that he gets whatever he needs (laughs) to make him feel full in some ways so that he and has the people around him you know who help him stay stable enough to not do anything that's so gigantically disruptive that it's going to be consequential for years and years and years you can tell I'm a liberal person he's not an other and nobody is an other. And it's because we didn't listen to people who have different points of view that we, the, that the country voted for someone who thought that they, he, they were being listened to. There's a wonderful koan in Zen. It's a two-line koan. It says teacher, uh, not a teacher, a, a student, a monk. A monk goes up to a teacher and asks him, what is the teaching, what is the teaching of a lifetime? What is the practice of a lifetime? Do you know this? No. Huh? <laughs> <Welcome>. <laughs> yeah. What is the practice of a lifetime? If someone asked you that, what would you say? It's a good question. And all the practice that you've been doing, and what is the practice of a lifetime? What can you tell me? And the teacher said, 
an appropriate response. Did you think that? No. An appropriate response. So I would suggest to you this evening that in order to even come close to having an appropriate response, we need to let go of whatever it is. You would call them taints, I think, in Vipassana. You have to let go of whatever it is that taints are that block your view of reality as it actually is, as it has come to be, as it has dependently co-arisen, without the projections, without the views that you put on the world, that we put on the world, that we put on our family members, that we put on our friends, that we put on you know, people who don't think the way we think, who look differently than we are. Holding and grasping to those kinds of views, impossible to have an accurate, appropriate response. what we do when we sit. I think you you do things when you sit in Vipassana. (laughs) I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I've I've been to many Vipassana retreats. I love Vipassana. Matter of fact, I'm going to the retreat at uh, Spirit Rock, the month retreat in March. I'm going to go. Because it's wonderful the way you guys do it. (laughs) I really like it. But everybody ends up with the same kind of sitting, really. It's shikantaza. Just sitting. Because what we're trying to do is let go of the doer, let go of the one who is trying to continue, who's the, who's the seeker, who thinks that if I just sit one more retreat, I'm going to have just a little bit more deeper waking up. I'm laughing at myself. <laughs> we don't need to do that. We don't. We actually just need to be there, open, willing, because life is happening anyway. Life is what we are, right? So life is happening. You open, thoughts come up or whatever, and you don't grab onto them. This is the practice of emptiness. It's the practice of what we are. And if we behave from what we are and allow presence to be there or silence to be there or emptiness to be there or whatever you want to call it, we have a chance to make an appropriate response because we can see what's called for. Sometimes... People think, you know, these big deals about teachers, blah, 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 they can see through me and da-da-da. No. <laughs> it's just that it's just that you're actually being with the person. And so you can see, oh, maybe they're thirsty. <laughs> I give them a cup of water. Oh, how did you know that? 
Well, you know, the sound in your mouth, you're dry, and use some water. It's not magic. It's just you're present. You're not thinking of your own past karma and past life and past whatever. And you're not throwing your mind into the future wondering, you know, what shall I do in an hour and a half when this is over and blah, blah, blah. You're just present. We're just present. We're present right now. Even if your mind is in the past or the future, right? You're here anyway, so you might as well take it in. (laughs) Even if it's kind of lousy, you know. Why? Because we want to train our minds to be present. If you let your mind, you know, do whatever it wants to do, then it'll habituate going away. We train our mind to be present, no matter what the being present is about. So my chair is a little bit uncomfortable, okay? It's all right. Wasn't that uncomfortable? I can't complain. (laughs) This being 73 is really interesting because death is around the corner. Isn't there a song like that? Death right around the corner? Isn't that a song? Yes, it is. It's a rap song. It's uh, Tupac. That's right, Death Around the Corner. It's Tupac. Do you know that song? That's a great song. (laughs) Death Around the Corner, standing there with a gun. (laughs) Good music. He's great music. What do you like? (laughs) What kind of music do you like? There was a great cartoon. I'm going to stop in a minute. Wait, okay. There's a great cartoon that I saw in Life, in some, not Life magazine, that's ancient, in um, The New Yorker. And it had very, like, hills, very soft hills. And two people were walking along, two older people were walking along. And the caption was, no, I think... Sorry, I might get this wrong. Um, I think they were listening to music. They were listening to like, um, like Sinatra, some kind of music like that, you know, soft music. And the caption below was, and they didn't even notice. I mean, the idea, let me tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what the joke is. The joke is that, you know, you go from lots of energy and, and lots of energetic music and rock and roll and da-da-da-da-da, right? And then jazz and maybe a little bit of whatever along the way. And fine, when you're older, basically you just want to hear calm, <laughs> quiet music. That's not funny. <laughs> anyway, when you get older, death... You, you can't miss it. It's right there. It's right there. And in Zen, we have this phrase, you know, practice like your head is on fire. That's what it means. Not that your head's on fire, but, you know, that if you're not here in the present moment appreciating the blossoms, then you've missed your life in that moment no matter what it is. And as life gets shorter and there's not so much time to waste, really that's all you want to do. Because it's not going to get different. It's not going to have like, 
you know, halos around everybody so that you can be nice to them. (laughs) So we have to be what we want the world to be like. We have to be. That's our responsibility. And the Pentecost Rising, to me, is the best teaching to be able to do that. Because as my wonderful teacher, Katagiri, used to say, in the world, the relative world, the world of form, in that world, everybody is totally responsible for whatever they do. Period. End of story. But in the world of dependent co-rising, in the world of emptiness, in the world of the entire universe, had to be exactly the way it was, totally, in order for me to be sitting here with you tonight. Exactly the way it was. I had nothing to do with it. In that world, everybody is completely forgiven. And we have to be in the world in that way. If you understand yourself as completely dependently co-arisen, you're completely forgiven and you can begin to love exactly who you are. Nothing has to change. You do not have to get better. And so you can be that love in the world. You don't have to wait to get better. You don't have to wait, as a bodhisattva we say, as a person who hugs first. You don't wait for the other person to hug you before you're willing to risk being vulnerable. You hug first. You hold out your hand first. You open your heart first. you remain connected as a value because it's the truth of who we are. Each one of us, perfect, blossom exactly the way we are. This is the teaching of a lifetime. This is the ability to make an appropriate response. And I believe deeply it's the gift and responsibility of people who are studying Buddhism to walk undivided inside, undivided between yourself and so-called other, undivided person in a terribly divided world. If you guys want to go home, you can go home. If you want to have a question and response, you can have a question and response.
Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Is that on? People can hear me? Okay. Um, how do I put this? I am incredibly pulled to action in the world right now. And I would say that I am rather attached to <laughs> my reactions to the things that are going on. And so I guess I have a hard time right now balancing the things that you've been saying and that impulse to being out there and fighting. Is that a question? Uh, yeah, 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 your, your comments on that. Comment. Just, okay. yeah. <clears throat> I feel you. I understand. Um, first of all, uh, I, would, I would suggest that you first listen really carefully to the place in you really listen how your insight, where you're responding from first. Okay? Before you do anything, it's so important. Really feel into yourself so that you don't come from a place that's divided. You're not fighting. I was trained in um, nonviolence in the 60s and I really, okay, I'm thoroughly, but we have to start inside first. You have to be undivided first, not fighting inside first. And if you need to take a little time before you respond, take that time. Calm down. Feel into yourself. And then choose something that you strikes you like um, I found a website called uh, recently called Indivisible Guide yes I'm there I'm in a group it's oh good okay also there's uh, HIIA I think it is there's the Jewish um, Jewish committee that is responding to refugees it's wonderful for me wild aid or some kind of environmental group or environmental earth justice is a legal thing for the environment. So, but before I do anything at all, because if I don't come forward as peace, I, there's no chance that there's going to be peace. I have to embody what I want in the world. So I, that's what I would suggest first. Stop the fighting in here first. And then be active. Thank you. Where can, where can I find the text of the chant? Oh, look at San Francisco Zen Center dot org services and chanting 
Thank and you. it's in there. It's called the Hymn to the Perfection of Wisdom. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you for your talk. And this is a selfish question, but from your 73, 72-year-old self to a 49-year-old with... What do you have any, like with death being so much closer around the corner, not that I don't know mine's not, but what any, can you comment on that? Like looking back and I don't know, just I would love any, what's the view like from there and looking back here? And are you afraid? I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you're at peace with it. But do you, are you afraid of, of the process of with death being closer? Um, gosh, what a wonderful question. I know, you, I couldn't help you brought it up. You, you, and it just struck me. I just had to, <laughs> I had to get that wisdom out of you. <laughs> well, the first thing that just came up is for you to trust yourself. Um, For me, life, it turns out life is easiest if we allow it. In other words, um, I used to manipulate and try to, you know, it, it turns out that decisions are a lot easier to make if you just watch where the energy is kind of flowing. And you can put energy here, put energy there, you know, different things. And then the world sort of makes the decision. So life has become much, much simpler for me. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then about um, death. Uh, well, what's happening for me right now is I am less... It's hard for me to actually to even say this. <laughs> I'm bec- you know, another thing about life that's really interesting, um, you have to grieve each stage of life as you let go you know and so what I'm letting go now is this sense of invincibility and ability because my body is not the same as it used to be and so um, I'm not giving up you know I'm exercising (laughs) today I did the elliptical and I lifted weights and you know it makes me feel better but I can feel that I'm stiffer you know, and my muscles are not as they are toned, you know, as they used to be and so on. And so it's a process of letting go. You know, um, not letting go too sooner than I have to, you know, but being really um, watching what's happening and doing the best I can to keep as much as I can. But then if I begin to not be, I not, then I feel badly at first. You know, it's hard to let go. I don't let go right away. Um, but, you know, letting go is the lesson. It's always life. We keep letting go all the time. It's one of the great things about Buddhism, you know, that we practice that. And that's what's going to be necessary. Thank you. Sweet.
it on? Okay. Um, I am struggling with seeing President Trump as a perfect peach blossom. Maybe if you had that over his head, you would be more. <laughs> you would be <laughs> See, that's the thing about the Penanco Rising. That's exactly what I was talking about. He is not who he is because he's a bad person. He is who he is probably because he had the father that he had. If you, if you look at his background a little bit, you know, there are real reasons. He was the only child of his family that they sent away to boarding school alone, you know? He, there are a number of things that happen, and you know, everybody may not have responded the way he did to his situation, but that's the way he responded. And that's the fellow he became. I believe he's, well, anyway, let me just say, if you understand the Penico Rising, you can, you can care about him deeply, and at the same time, because of the two truths, you can pr- pr- to resist him, what he's going to do, or what he may do, or what he is doing, <laughs> right? All of those things, right? We can still stand up if this is, you know, I'm talking to the choir here maybe a little bit, but I really respect people who don't agree with me. So in case there are those of you here, have a valid point of view. Um, but we, for the who feel like I do, we have to resist, you know, in each way. Like in, I was a teacher, right? DeVos as the head of education, my God, right? So as much as resistance as we can do, but I do not hate him mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's a pinnacle rising. It's a very important teaching. Well, it's a challenge. Yeah. I can't say that I hate him. I mean, that's not the case. But I do think that um, I don't think he's benign. Yeah, I agree. But that's different yeah. than who he is as a person, right? He wants to be happy. He doesn't want to suffer. Like the Dalai Lama says, right? Nobody wants to suffer and everybody wants to be happy. He's the same as we are. He poops and he pees and he bleeds. He loves his children. And he feels deeply separate from everything else, probably. Right? Right? So... Yeah, we have to really watch carefully what's happening but without hate it only hurts you well you said you didn't hate him well my mind is just going to the women's march and I was lucky enough to get to go to Washington D.C. and I think um, that march was an embodiment of what you're talking about Um, it was so joyful yeah. And and positive. It was really. I've never been in quite a situation like that. It was Great. really, really powerful. Yeah. Keep that spirit. Come from there. 
very effective. Yeah, that's a great note to end on. Love, right? Yeah, thank you very much.